welcome to the Birth Activists podcast, hosted by me, Becky Scott, and fellow doula and activist, Samantha Gadsden. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Birth Activists podcast. Samantha Gadsden, good morning, my lovely. Good morning, Becky. I should have said good afternoon because we're actually recording in the afternoon, but for our guest, it is still the morning because we're speaking to Alison Tate. Good morning, Alison. Good morning, everyone. Alison is joining us from Florida. So what time is it over there at the moment? Um, it's probably about 9.45 a.m. Yeah, pro- you ain't got no clocks near you, so... No idea. <laughs> no idea what time it is. Yeah, we're about quarter to three in the afternoon here. So that, that, that's it then. Yeah, quarter to ten. We've got you up early. Not, no, not really. Are your kids at school today, or are they off? They're all they're all at school. We're we're all up and you know usually by six a.m. and they're they're on the school bus by seven. Ah, uh, because we all got our Easter holidays at the moment. So you know, even even though if we were in lockdown, which we're not at the moment, the, the kids are, are off. So. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> just feels like the same as it has done for the last couple of weeks so Alison um would you like to just um tell the listeners a little bit about who you are and um you know just really your background and and why we're talking today of course yes thank you so thanks for having me here this is such a great opportunity to to chat with you and and everyone else and I want to thank you for the work that you're both doing it's so important right now oh Um, thank you yeah so yeah, thank, thanks. So I'm um, Alison, Alison Tate, and I'm from Scotland. I'm currently living in Florida. We've been here for four years. Um, and I would like to say, yes, I am a doula, or I have been a doula, although I'm sure we're going to touch on this, you know, the kind of um, identifying as a doula and kind of where I'm going with my birth work. That's another sort of conversation. Um, but certainly, you know, in terms of my birth work, I did step into kind of the doula role um, way back in 2013 um, after the birth of two of my children then I then had my third son in 2015 so yeah my mum to three boys Um, and like many people you know I got into birth work because of my own experiences but also because of my past life before having my children I was an occupational therapist I worked with families and children um, in various capacities and and I, I, I really loved that role of of just kind of really being present and and really stepping into that kind of human experience and and that was so important to me and um and I guess having had that background before I went into doula work you know obviously I had that experience of being what we call a professional title um, and what it means to work within organizations and structures and hierarchies and, and power and all of those kind of things that we then see manifest in in birth work so having that background has been very helpful to me and I've always been very interested in how systems work and how they shape beliefs and behaviors um, and and all of that so um, I guess yeah I I did those kind of years since 2013 just just attending some births um, and being involved. That was in the UK at the time was it Alison? Yes that was in that was in Scotland at that point. I've lived places throughout the UK and Ireland as well but that was in Scotland when I started that journey and um, my 
trainer and mentor was Nicola Goodall, who's just so amazing over at Red Tent Doulas. Um, and I, I just kind of stepped into that work and enjoyed that work and then really started to kind of immediately witness what was going on within the birth space. You know, obviously I brought my own stories of my own births um, and that feeling that I had when I gave birth, three, you know, three very different experiences, you know, two within hospital, one at home. And just kind of that moment of clarity when I connected with my own inner power and really questioned what it was we were, the messages we were given as a society towards birthing people. Um, and just the power that I felt and how I wanted to really start to unpick that within the system and, and what was going on in reality. Um, and I've always been very interested also in, in rights, you know, what our rights are, um, and, and also the kind of walking the kind of that, that um, transition and the, the closeness between birth and death, mm. certainly a very close space in my heart for bereavement dueling, um, and just how, how sacred and important these transitions are and kind of rehumanizing everything. Yeah, um, those were the kind of things that really kind of were were shaping who I was. It was about humanity and about, you know, um, reconnecting with ourselves as humans, reconnecting with each other, and and bringing that kind of sacred element back into these transitions in our life, as well as the more kind of when we look at reality, you know, the impact of the systems and the violations of rights and all of the other things that kind of go on in accessing services and lots of different things and the kind of oppression of, of uh, professional labels and the impact on midwives and the relationships between doulas and midwives and all of these things, there's so many layers. So I guess just through very early on, I started to experience all of these things and just put it together with my own past stories and my own mm -hmm. storytelling and has kind of shaped me to where I am now in Florida, which is a whole different experience <laughs> coming here. I bet. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm not actively doing any doula work in terms of, you know, attending births um, in person. I'm, I'm working towards... Um, what that's going to look like for me so I've kind of spent the last certainly three years identifying what's needed and identifying what is actually going on here culturally systemically you know all of these things that are happening and there's many layers to the work that needs to be done mm -hmm. here I, I'm just feeling really clear that you know we're in the middle we're all evolving we're all constantly evolving but certainly right now and you know what has COVID brought for us it's, it's given us this moment of questioning absolutely everything so yes. when I place COVID within the context of birth work it was just another layer um to my own clarity of what needed to be done and I'm kind of holding myself personally accountable for the work that needs to be done and that's mm. kind of where doulas for human rights came in you know, yes. the springboard from COVID, but everything existed pre-COVID, but it yeah. was just a launching board that I needed to really get me communicating and building networks in my community to do what actually needed to be done and to have the hard conversations. You know, I'm a big question asker and that makes people very uncomfortable, but that's what it's about. You know, change yes. does not come from comfort. So I'm, I'm really keen to... Um, foster community and communication um, and connection and in order to rehumanize ourselves and to rehumanize how we relate to others. Mm. So that's a big part of the work that I'm doing um, in Dillas for Human Rights. It's really, it's an un unpicking and unlayering. Mm. It's an evolution constantly changing. 
So a lot of what you're saying is obviously, you know, we're sitting in nodding away because it's generally stuff that, that we already know and we're already dealing with. And I, I bet there's a lot of doulas listening to this and, and, and as well, nodding away. What, when you, obviously that was sort of still apparent and, and in your life here when you were working as a doula in the UK. Yeah. When you, when you moved to Florida, what, what were sort of the main differences with being a doula in the UK and being a doula in, in the US did you find? So I guess that the main things that I had to really get my head around was um, the system. It's obviously very, very different. You know, it's not a publicly funded system, the healthcare system here. And it creates many, many barriers to Mm. accessing, um, you know, maternity services, reproductive health services. So, you know, we have insurance systems. And then, then we need to, you know, I needed to really get my head around my own white conditioning and my own white privilege. Um, to really say, right, you know, Alison, look, you know, you need to face that stuff head on, you know, as much as there were things in my own life story and my own birth experiences, you know, I was a very white privileged person. I had access to midwives. I had access to hospital care. I paid for my care, obviously, through my employment. I was not paying thousands. I did not require health insurance. Um, I had health insurance. You know, here, I have health insurance here. I mean, how privileged. Absolutely not everybody does. So here I was as a white doula coming into this country, which has many, which is basically based on structural and systemic racism and has many um, barriers in place for, for very vulnerable and marginalized groups of birthing people, BIPOC communities, LGBTQ communities, disabled communities. And just as me as a, as a very privileged white person, seeing the challenges it brings for me, if I asked myself, if I was to have a baby here, where would I go? Who would I choose? Would I have, do I have a birth center in a drivable distance? Does my insurance cover it? Do I have the money to pay the, the extra stuff on top? Do I trust the midwives that I have? Do they look like me? Are they white? You know, all of those kind of things. So if you are a non-white, very privileged person, there are many, many challenges and barriers that are literally killing birthing people. Mm. So for me to get my head around that, it, it was a a moment for me to really hold up the mirror and look at myself and look at just how privileged my experience of doing has been and my yeah. experience of birthing has been because it is not like that here and obviously in the UK you know we know there are you know BIPOC women you know dying at four times five times upwards rates compared to white you know, birthing people. And only now is that starting to really be looked at. And um, but certainly in my community, that's what I needed to look at. What mm. do birthing people need? What does it mean for me as a white doula stepping into the space where black birthing people are dying at rates that I am not? You know, what does it mean for me to support them? Do they want me? Do they have access to doulas who look like them, who understand their culture? You know, are, are those doulas managing to access the training and support that they need? Do they have the community that they need? Um, and probably more so, there's so many answers to that is no. And we see that through COVID with providers that are placing restrictions upon doulas that are creating extra barriers for BIPOC doulas to actually serve their community. Mm. So as a person, that's, that's what I'm here to do. So that's, that's the difference is that there are so many things in place here that I have to be held accountable for and I have to step up and do the work. 
Yeah, I think in the UK, we, we do um, sort of take for granted a lot of what, what we have anyway in the UK, which is, is our free healthcare service. But obviously on top of that, it is the white privilege that, that we, the three of us have, because obviously we're all three white, white women. We, we have that privilege and um, we've had, you know, led very privileged lives compared to a lot of people in the UK. But I guess it it's, tends to be a bit more apparent in the US. Is that right? Yes, I mean, well, certainly. I mean, I look back and I, I just, you know, growing up and through even in my job as an occupational therapist and, you know, who was I surrounded by? I was working within systems that were white mm. in the UK that were structured for white people. So that was the same. But certainly here, the, the extent of the, you know, the systemic and the structural racism and social determinants and how, you know, uh, BIPOC people have and Black people have access to the things that I do as a white person here, housing, education, you know, all of that, you know, racism is, is built into every system here, mm. education, healthcare, sport, my kids play sport. And if you have the money, you are in, mm. you know, oh, yeah. everything built around and it's structured for white people by white people. And that just is unacceptable to me, even as a white person. And as a white person, it should be us that is standing up and actually doing something about it. So those were the messages that I certainly knew that I had to hold myself accountable for. It's, mm -hmm. it's a real center point of the work that I am doing here. Um, and the other things that I noticed, what else did I notice? Um, the splintered community in terms of birth work, just the size of it. Uh, I mean, geographically, I'm living in a much more highly populated country, a huge state. All the states are governed differently. You know, So politically, I had to get my head around how America mm. works. Florida works, how my state works, um, and the politics and birth. Birth is political. Yeah. You know, that was one thing that I didn't particularly have to think about or did think about when I was a doula in, in Scotland. Um, but here, that is what drives it. And so I've had to really get my head around the politics of that and where I sit within that. Yeah. Um, and how I build community to to do that and um it feels very individual here you know I really miss my smaller sense of doula community that I had in Scotland it felt more cohesive whereas here as much as there is some amazing birth work going on here you know I have a wealth of midwives of um doulas of other birth workers that are absolutely trying to do the work or maybe doing the work I don't know where they all are there's a lot of silence so right. I guess I'm trying to pull together pull together again that community that I had in Scotland that felt very um sort of cohesive and supportive and that we were speaking more that there was more conversation here it just feels like well, the oppression is real. I mean, it, it, the way that even midwifery is controlled in the system here, I feel the depths of that in the way that mm. what the midwives are feeling. And then I feel the depths of that with the doulas who are supporting the midwives and within the whole system. 
so I guess I'm, I'm striving for that community and I'm striving for conversation and um, I'm trying to encourage stepping up and using voice and going past that feeling of comfort and feeling uncomfortable. Um, because I know the birth community here, of course they get it. They've been living it and breathing it for way longer than I have, but it just feels so heavy and I'm, mm. I'm so keen for, to create some kind of conversation and dialogue and space where they feel, I keep hearing the word safety. You know, safety is a huge thing right now, obviously for birthing people, but for birth workers, you know, we are traumatized. There's such high levels of trauma within a traumatized system. Um, and we're living way down. If we talk about our energy and our chakras, we're way down in that root chakra. You know, we're trying to get ourselves safe um, and, and just surviving. We are in survival mode. So when we're yeah. coming into the space of trying to do more conscious working, you know, that asks a lot because to do that, you know, we really need to raise our vibration and that takes a lot. And there's a lot of trauma that needs to be dealt with and managed right now. And there needs to be spaces for I, that. Trauma layers on trauma, layers on trauma, oh, layers trauma. on trauma. And yeah. I know from a lot of the people that I speak to outside of the birth world, they think those stats from black and brown women and babies dying are American. They mm -hmm. don't think that it's an issue in the UK. And when you say... Mm -hmm. No, the UK stats are just as bad, if not worse. They are worse. Um, yeah. with, our, with our free healthcare. Yeah, yes. they are genuinely people I speak to. Not so much people I speak to in the birth world because they're already aware, but the people I speak to from outside of the birth world, they haven't got a clue. They think that no. this is an American issue, that this is something that happens over there. It's not something that happens over here. Um, so in, in the UK, from the last Embrace report, I mean, previous to that, it was um, black and brown women were uh, five times more likely to die during pregnancy, birth and the first postnatal, um, first year of postnatal period here in the UK. And after the last Embrace report, it went down to four, four point something times likely. Uh, but in the US, it's three times as likely, isn't it? So actually, it's slightly, uh, slightly better in the US. Yeah, I guess it obviously depends on where you are geographically. You know, mm -hmm. if we're looking at some of the cities like New York, you know, that is significantly higher than three times. Right. So, you know, each each area, um, you know, absolutely has has different different rates. And I guess we can all, you know, quote the stats and things like that. But it's it's kind of you know, in the work that I'm doing, it's like, you know, what are we actually gonna do? And and you know, doulaing birth work is primarily white work, white, yeah. very privileged work. And and we are the ones that have to really step forth and center BIPOC um, birth workers, midwives, we need to be pushing for legislative change, we need to be challenging anything that is impacting um, birthing people who are black and of colour, indigenous and all these other marginalised groups mm. of birthing people to access the care that they need. Um, and I that's, think that's the thing is that, you know, this, like you say, the statistics aren't important. I think the point was that people think that it's America that's worse than the yeah. UK and actually it's not it's the figures are worse over here generally um but yeah any any disparity there shouldn't be any times more you know it shouldn't be you know the, until that disparity is gone then it's just not good enough being that response of trying to high risk black and brown women here and push them into a hospital birth which is a bigger risk in my opinion um so the response isn't what's going wrong in the system. The response is less high risk you and bring you back into the system 
bring you into the places that you're frightened to go in in the first place yeah um and I, that that's a worry here you know oh let's induce you because you're at risk absolutely and it, it's you know um providing access to culturally appropriate care to and supporting um black birth workers supporting midwifery you know and, and tackling all of the the issues that are happening with midwifery and obviously in the UK you know I've kind of been trying to follow as much as possible all the issues that have been happening with midwifery with independent midwives um, you know with the closing down of birth, birth centers you know everything you know we need to be looking at that you know care needs to be culturally competent it needs to be you know trauma informed it needs to be happening in the community um, yeah. and we need to be looking at exactly what is happening systemically within these big institutions you know who who are they set up to serve and we know certainly it's not marginalized birthing people because they are directly through racist and biased practices killing birthing people yeah. And we need to look at the training. And this is another thing I'm really talking a lot about at the moment. Obviously, training of OBs, doctors, you know, where, where is that coming from? But even just the training of doulas, you know, we have so much work to do starting to unpick the role of doula training organizations in shaping white supremacist behavior and complicit behavior in a system that is very harmful. And I'm really keen to get those kind of conversations going here. And, and actually we need to have some honest conversations. You know, we need to get doula training organizations talking. And certainly over here, we have the big ones, Donna International particularly, some of the other big names who over here, the system for some reason recognizes being the go-to. So when they are creating restrictions and standards and scope, all those words um, around doulas, they look to these doula training organizations. And that is hugely problematic when we start mm. to unpick how they're actually training doulas. Yeah, I've been following that so, a bit on the social media and I could, I can, you know, I follow a few um, doulas in the US and I think um, maybe it's, it's because obviously the system is very medicalized and private in, in the US is that there seems to be, and correct me if I'm wrong, that there are some doulas, uh, specifically those that are joined to these larger organisations, that are not truly advocating for their clients, that they are almost like, you know, coupling up with, with hospitals, coupling up with medical providers. So, um, so really not truly advocating or able to advocate for their clients because they've got this other relationship with, with the hospitals. Mm -hmm. Is that right? So typically, you know, the majority of doulas will be practicing in, independently, right? Yeah. And this this thing that we need to keep a hold of. There are, you know, non-profit organizations that are grassroots organizations that do have various streams of funding um, that provide pools of doulas that work with certain groups of, you know, yeah. vulnerable birthing people, which is, <clears throat> excuse me, absolutely needed and absolutely essential. Um, but generally, we have doulas who, who are working on, on their own. We do have doulas that um, may be attached to licensed midwives who are working in the community. Um, and, and that to me is interesting, particularly when we look at the oppression of midwifery within the system over here, particularly in Florida, you know, it is regulated, it is licensed. Um, and the requirements that are being placed upon midwives that, you know, that's an issue in itself, you know, who defines risk, 
Um, they have to work under um, with close relationships with OBs. There needs to be a lot of consultation and the kind of de-skilling of midwifery and the ownership mm. of midwifery is very much in the system. So I, I feel their, their oppression and I feel the challenges that they face in trying to provide you know, community-led, culturally appropriate care within the community under those kind of statutes and, and control, because it's over-control, it's medical over-control yeah. of a profession that is rooted in hundreds of years. And then we need to talk, obviously, about, you know, the colonization of that and the whitewashing of midwifery from Black culture. So there's a, there's, there's a lot there. So I see the whitewashing of midwifery, I see the control mm. of midwifery. I see the colonization of midwifery over here. So if you're a doula that works closely with a midwife who is feeling that oppression, they're ultimately going to shape the doula's behavior. So we have a lot of that going on, the kind of, you know, the, the way that that works through the system and down the hierarchy. Um, Do you find that some doulas that have gone through those training organizations that potentially have, have got, like you say, are rooted with um, systemic racism and, and white supremacy, is that you're getting doulas that are, are you know working in that way then is that something that's been yeah. become an issue yeah we have to be honest yes yeah, yeah. and it's not to say that they are I'm sure they would say that their intentions are good of course but intention doesn't take away from the fact that we have to do better and that we have to admit that this is what is happening would you say um, it's a of sort of sticking their head in the sand and saying it, oh. it, well, yeah, it's, it's very heavy it's um, part of the system doulas who become part of that oppressive system themselves yeah yeah insidiously yes absolutely and that, that's been going on for decades okay mm. it happens slowly and surely and it creeps in in many ways um and i'm certainly i'm putting it out there i'm not saying that dollars are out there intentionally causing harm absolutely not but we still have to look at what we are doing and these are the conversations that i want to have and and yes you know if you are dollars are oppressed we are controlled we are within the over control of the system mm -hmm. we see that through the restrictions that have come through covid mm -hmm. and then that has held us into a place where we need to look at who we are you what are we doing alison my view is my view with with COVID coming in, sorry to cut you out, you just said something there that sparked something in my brain. And I just thought, you know what, you're over there pre-COVID and, you know, all this is going on and you're recognising that, that, you know, there's systemic racism, that you're having these conversations, which is fantastic. And, you know, I touched base with you before before the pandemic and, and was really interested in, in the kind of work you're doing over there. But I think what's happened during the pandemic over here is that we've just started to notice it. Pre-pandemic, there were so many people, so many doulas, as well as, you know, Joe Public, are just sat there thinking, it's not us, hands yeah. over ears, you know, our NHS is wonderful, the staff that work in the NHS is wonderful, you know, and they are, but it's still uh, a system, it's still uh, a paternal system, and yeah. I think COVID and the restrictions put in place have just sort of raised that awareness to a lot of people at the moment and so what these discussions that you've been having these conversations that you've been having in the US pre-COVID I think we're only just starting to have over here seriously you know obviously there'll be there'll be pockets of people having these conversations before the pandemic but I, I think um, you know on a more of a national um, out there in the public type way we're definitely having more of those conversations now a little bit behind the us because you know we, we we have been sort of brought up to be very grateful for our free healthcare and not question it 
and, and yeah. you know put it on that pedestal whereas in the US it's not it's very it's, it's almost like cut and dry I guess it's like it's paid you're paying for a service it's a business rather than in the UK it's like you need to be grateful for the care you're giving because a it's free uh, you know not that these these healthcare professionals aren't doing it out the kindness of, of their heart because they're getting paid for it but the general public are like but we're not paying for it so it's you know it's seen as a free a free thing isn't it that, that, that yeah. we need to be grateful for over here and that definitely shapes behavior doesn't it and i would like to say that over here in america that are we ahead in those discussions really i, I really don't, <laughs> don't think we are sadly Just having different discussions maybe <laughs> um and who's been having the discussions the bipoc yeah. communities the lgbtq communities the disabled communities those that shouldn't have to be having these conversations yeah they've been having them for decades yeah generally it's just us white folk who are taking the time to actually step up to the mark because we're the ones that have to have the conversations. So absolutely. I absolutely send all of my respect and love to all of the um, BIPOC doulas and LGBTQ and disabled doulas and, and birthing people out there who have really opened my eyes and propelled me to do what I need to do. Mm. And still they're the ones that are raising their voices, carrying the trauma, carrying our own white, uncomfortable feelings, our own emotions, and how we turn spaces into white spaces and still make it about us and dilute it. You know, this is where the, the crux of it lies. And we need to be taking, taking ownership of, of all of that. And that's certainly what I want Doulas for Human Rights to provide that space to do. Yes, let's talk about Doulas for Human Rights, because that's sort of the first time I touched base with you. Um, gosh, it's got to be a couple of years ago now, surely. <laughs> gosh, like that. I think it was certainly. <laughs> we just sort of lost the last year, haven't we? I think that's yeah, the problem. Um, <laughs> and um, so Doulas for Human Rights is an organisation that you have set up with three of the people, am I right? No. There's been a lot of changes. <laughs> oh gosh, uh, fill us in. What's been going you know, on? So just give us the story. <laughs> Tell us how Humans Do This for Human Rights got started and, and the history there with you. Oh, of course. Yes. So, as I say, it was based on all the things that I touched upon at the beginning of this podcast, you know, came from my own life stories, my own experiences and the things that I was observing here and knew that there needed to be more, that we needed more spaces for real, honest conversation. And then, of course, COVID. Yeah. Okay. And that added a layering to what I was observing in my birth community in terms of the conversations that were being had um, by birthing people online, primarily. You know, this is this is the, the age where conversations are happening more online and just picking up on the themes. And, and I knew in my head the things that needed to be tackled. Now, what if it was around human rights at that time and identifying the skill gaps that I was seeing in the doula responses that were coming mm. forth? as well as the kind of oppression that I was seeing in the midwifery responses that were coming forth. But certainly at that point, it was, it was, I was thinking, right, you know, we need to be talking much more about rights and how this, how a human rights model fits into reproductive care. Um, and how does that fit into the context of my community? So that was kind of where my driving point was. And then COVID hit and I did that extra layer. And then it started to really propel me into everything that we've just spoken about, about doulas being really clear about who it is that they are. Who are you? What are you doing? Who are you centering? Where have you come from? Have you dealt with your own stories, your own trauma? 
and all of that, who trained you, who are you centering, who are you uplifting, who are you silencing, you know, who are you there for? Mm. So all those kind of questions started to come in. So I, I, I wanted to create, um, it was community. I wanted cohesion in my community. It's not something that I set out to own. It was something to try and, it's a space. At this moment, it's not an organization, but maybe in the future, you know, things will grow. But at the moment, it's just a space for self-accountability and collective accountability for the work that needs to be done through kind of signposting and information primarily and through kind of call to action posts and centering BIPOC people, LGBTQ people, disabled people so that they can have their voices heard and those birth workers also. So even though I am white and I'm leading this space, I don't want it to be a white space. It's not about my voice. It's about the voices that need to be heard. So it did start off with a few other doulas and I extend my thanks to all of those who have been part of the journey. And as things always go, you know, we kind of come into things, we dip out, we do our own work. So it's kind of me. Doulas for Human Rights is me. It is my kind of, um, I guess, an outward expression of my own journey, my own accountability. Um, it is a story of my own evolution in birth work and certainly over the last year. And it's constantly changing. It is just providing that space and, and that information. Um, and those who are ready to show up can come and show up. You know, I, I'm not going to spoon feed. You know, it's not a space where you can come and bawl your eyes out and, and talk about centering yourself and all of this hard work. It's about being ready to come and actually change the rhetoric and the narrative. So there is a lot of work that is needed because we can't get past that. It's uncomfortable. It's not a comfy space. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's not supportive and that I don't bring heart. You know, there's a lot of that that we need to challenge that. Oh, you're too aggressive and you're not about birthing people and you're too much about this. And we need to just let go about that. It's not a space where you're coming to be liked. It is a space to really unpeel yourself and splinter yourself apart and, and heal yourself. And Alison, because the other day I literally said running an ethical group isn't a popularity contest. no. Right. But that's when we need to look at our own, you know, whitewashing as individuals, as, as women, you know, how we are controlled, how we're controlled by the patriarchy, how it has shaped us, you know, how we have to be good and quiet and conforming. Mm. You know, that's been carried into birth work. It's carried into the birth space. It makes it um, uncomfortable for doulas to wish to advocate. That's why we get words like scope, stay in your lane. Doulas don't advocate. Doulas aren't activists. We don't speak for anyone. You're too loud. You're too aggressive. We'll be seen as aggressive. I won't get referrals. I won't be liked. And all of that starts to come yeah, out. stuck in your box with your Clary Sage, your aromatherapy. Yeah, right. That's what they say. Go back in your... And you're just a doula. Yeah. Yeah. You know, all of these really oppressive words and language that we all have to sit with individually. We have to know who we are. And mm. if we don't know who we are and we haven't done our own work, we can't step into a place of birth or death. We can't do it because then it becomes about us and it does not become about the person who needs 
the support in that moment. That's the thing. Yeah, that, that, I see that a lot in the, on the uh, the US from the US doulas about you know not the 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 conversation, the discussion about whether doulas should be advocates or not, and and it's not something that I'm aware of over here in the UK. Oh, I've got a I've got a blog about it. I've been told I shouldn't be advocating. Have you? Because I, um, I'm, whether I'm just in my own little bubble and don't notice it, but I I sort of see the US stuff and I'm like, wow, that's a really big issue because for me. That is, in essence, a doula is someone that is completely independent, is completely centering that that client, that couple, um, and has not got a, any alliance with. I know, think or anything. criticize advocacy though. Don't understand what advocacy is. The whole mm. point of advocacy, if you can achieve it, is to strive for self advocacy so that people can advocate for themselves and you're yeah. supporting people to speak for themselves where they can, not speaking for them. So why would we not do that? Yeah, support people to find their own voice. Yeah, and we have to return back to training. We have to return mm. back to being shaped. You know, who is doulas? Doula yeah. training organizations. It okay? is that thing, like you said, Sam. And actually, I've never, um, I've never really thought of it in that way. But that is that is how I, I practice. And, and as doulas, you know, see quite a few doulas coming coming through, new doulas, and and you know, obviously in the birth circles that we're in, you know, I don't. No many if well I could probably think of a couple if I really sat down and thought but most doulas want to encourage though their clients to be self-advocating can't get my, my words out today um, <laughs> and really anyone any doula or birth worker that is trying to advocate for someone and wants to be speaking for somebody that's the ego at play there isn't it no i think it takes a lot of strength sorry we're going a bit off topic here but i think it takes a lot of strength to say to somebody especially when you're a new doula no i won't speak for you like when when i oh, get yes yeah no, i agree or would you would you do this for me and i say ideally no ideally you you should be able to do it or your partner and i'll do it if nobody's listening to you but yeah. And, and that's that's so important what you just said there, um, you know, because there will and there will always be times where because we know birthing in a traumatized system is very triggering um, and there will always be times for the birthing person simply through the process of, of, of birth that they are not in a place where that is going to happen. Yeah. And we have partners who are witnessing and then we have traumatized staff who are witnessing and who are being um, expected to behave in a certain way. You know, this is certainly where doulas in that moment cannot be silent witnesses and need mm. to be very clear in their own self and what advocacy actually is and is not. And there's just too much weight around believing that advocacy, advocacy is something that you say or something that you do. And it is way deeper than that. You know, it is all the work that comes before all the work that you do as yourself as a doula and all the work that you do with those that you are supporting before they even get to the moment of birth. Yeah. Yes, there skills involved of course but it's not just a thing it is very layered and it is about relationships going back to being human again you know it's how we reclaim all of that and and and, and reframe what advocacy is and and of course we have doula organizations that are basically holding up the scaffolding of 
white supremacy and the systems that are killing and harming birthing people. And this is, we need to go back to that. We need to talk about that because they are then shaping doulas who are coming out and are, are sharing that rhetoric of what they believe doulas are and aren't. Mm. And if we then have providers and hospital systems that are looking to these training organizations to define what a doula is, we have massive problems. Mm, you know, we need to be returning this power and this ownership back to all birthing people. They need to define what doulas are, birth keepers are, um, as well as us individually. But if we haven't done our own indiv individual work, we have no sense of identity. Yeah, and I then we get caught up in the, the doings. I've got to be doing, I've got a huge doula bag. It's full of this, it's full of that. And then we get into things like the rebozo at the moment and the cultural inappropriation of that. Um, and this all ties in with doulas not having a, a connection with our own identity. We have to be seen to be doing when yeah. actually we need to be sitting to. back and observing and holding relationships. Um, and sensing and feeling and all of that but the doula training organizations aren't aren't touching on that they're touching on everything that the system wants in order to be powerful well I think we need independence you know and across where you are and here in the UK the aligning of doulas with hospitals and trusts is something that concerns me here mm -hmm. um, I, I used to think it was difficult but actually I work in six trusts and I find that quite liberating because actually I don't have any ties I have relationships with some of our consultant midwives, but they are very much working relationships, but I don't have any ties to any hospital or any trust. So I can be, I don't have to worry about, well, I don't worry about what they're going to think of me. Mm. Yes. It's relevant to me what they think of me. The only thing I care about is getting support for either my birth clients, who are the people I work directly with, or the people in my groups, because I fundamentally believe that home birth is the safest for minority people and that giving birth at home is far and away the safest and I think that by throwing as much energy as I have into promoting home birth and many 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 people home birthing against medical advice thousands in lockdown um, yes. it's the safest environment and, and if we allow them to close it down which is what they want to do it's clear they want to close home birth down in a lot of places then we're going to push all of these people into places that are unsafe for them absolutely certainly the system you know, the, all the points that you made there are, are so in, important, you know, doulas in our, you know, when I go back to identity, right, we have to be so clear about who we are and what we're doing, you know, because if we're not strong in that, what do we see happen? So we see with COVID and the restrictions being placed, this constant need to seek, um, you know, clarification from the system to have our worth defined by the system for them to tell us that we are worthy and grappling with that all of the time. And, you know, I did a complete 360. You know, obviously I, I value doulas hugely. I'm having a big issue with the, the title doula at the moment. Um, pretty, I feel like I'm going to have a breakup with. Um, but, you know, it, 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 in terms of everything that COVID did, did for doulas, you know, they they are ultimately trying to control doulas within the system. But when I came over here, what else did I see was different? Doulas are professionals. And I'm like, now that's an interesting coin of terms. Because for me, exactly as you said, Samantha, we are not employed by any entity unless perhaps you're working for a 503 over here and 501 or whatever the, the um, charities are, the nonprofits. Um, we, are, we are independent. 
our role is defined not only by our own belief systems, but also by those that we are that we are working for, who are paying us, who are calling us in to keep them safe. Um, and that is not something that the system should have control over. We're not regulated, we're not licensed, although I can see it going that way. So if as doulas, we're constantly looking to the system and saying to them, but we are worthy, we are worthy, let us in, we're part of the team. And I kind of had that thinking at one point, and then I was like, whoa, rewind, 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 rewind. You know, we are, we are visitors, we are visitors for a reason. Why? Because we are not part of the system, we are not governed by you, we are not licensed by you, therefore you do not define who we are and what we do. The person that does that is the person that I am looking after, who I am serving. They're my focus. They're my priority. And so there needs to be so much more done, done around that by doulas and actually looking at who do you believe you are? You know, if you're calling yourself a professional, you were getting so stuck on credentials and professionalism and this training and that training and this one is valuable and that one is worthy and you're not a good enough doula because you've not done that and you don't have this in your doula bag and you're not doing this. It just goes on and on and on when really we need to strip all of that back and get back to the basics of just being present and using all of those fundamental skills us to just observe and and be connected with those that we are serving so there's a lot there there is a lot yeah. in there we've noticed it quite a bit in in covid all as well, of- the, the birth activist podcast was started in covid um you know right at the beginning of, uh, when we were locked down and um personally i had i've got a lot of connections with with the local trust because i used to work with one up for one of them you know so um like you were saying like sam was saying is that you know she feels it's quite liberating she can go into six different trusts not know anybody not have any alliance or with anybody not be worried about what they think of her whether they like her whereas i regularly go back to the trust i used to work at with people that I used to consider friends and some of them I still do consider friends um and so I I personally had quite a massive learning curve when I started working as a doula and was no longer employed by the NHS um and that was yeah a massive culture shock um which was sort of brought to a head by the pandemic when I was being publicly challenged on my social media by midwives um Mm -hmm to to the point where you know I had to take a break from social media um I was um bullied out of a MVP group which is our maternity voice partnership local group uh, by a fellow doula um who is the chair and um I, t- I took stock at that point and I was like do you know what you've poked the bear far too many times now and actually I'm not happy with that and that was mm-hmm. my sort of turning point where I just was like that's it I know who I am now and I feel like I was almost fighting it for ages as that you know I'm not an activist I, you know I, I want to please both parties I want to please my my client and I want to please the trust as well um so I was very much in the middle for a long time and that's what I, I actually see the pandemic as that was a massive turning point for me and a massive positive that I found who I am and I actually feel very comfortable now with doing the podcast talking about these controversial topics you know I, I, I will head on you know um, respond to any challenges I get now and you know they will be blocked deleted and ignored basically um, <laughs> from any of my social media accounts um, but it is very much about finding yourself as a, as a doula or birth worker and I 
completely resonate with you when you're talking about the word doula and whether you're sitting right uh, at the moment. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but you do, is, and, and this is what we talk about in developing doulas when we're seeing all these um, new doulas coming in. And, and it's about doulaing being a journey birth work is a journey it's not just you do your course then you've after you've done your course you've got a list of other courses and you finally you'll get to that pinnacle when you're the best doula you could possibly be and you're you know fully qualified in inverted commas um you know it isn't about that it's about a, a journey isn't it because essentially we, we are journeying with our clients which is why we talk about each client that we have it is a new experience and we grow from that and develop from that and, mm -hmm. and yeah, the, the thought that, um, you know, I used to be one of them. I used to be looking at all the courses I could do, making sure I've got all the certificates and, you know, that kind of thing. But it is in, in, the, in our presence, isn't it? It is what, how we're showing up in the bathroom with our clients. It's not about having a million certificates in a folder. You know, yeah. it, it's about how we're actually practicing on a, on a daily basis and showing up. The last birth I went to, I had no contract. And the only thing I took in my doula bag, in fact, I didn't even take a bag, was my box of goddess statues because they wanted them. That was it. I rocked up with my goddesses in a box and I yeah. came home. And that, the more I do, I talk about this a lot, the longer I do, the less I do. Yeah. That's it. That is it. And we're really stuck right now, you know, certainly over here in... The doing, the fixing, you know, certainly in all the doula conversational groups that begin with either, I have a person in labor and la, 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 what do I do? Oh, okay. So those things really flag up to me the kind of work, the amount of work that needs to be done about just rewinding and going back to the very beginning of all the work that we all have to do individually in the roles that, that, we, that we have. And I see the fixation with doing and fixing and biomechanics and then all the inappropriate robozo use and, you know, all of that, because I, it goes back to worth and defining who we are. You know, that fear of if I'm sitting in the corner observing, watching, feeling in, what are the staff going to think of me? I'm not the doula that's got my robozo out. I'm not the doula that's doing all of this stuff. So too much doing and not enough being. And I, I talk about that a lot and this is again why we need to get on top of conversations when doulas are saying what training should I be taking you know there needs to be such important conversations about about that there's just not enough introspection going on around that. Running, we um... pray to the system we have been colonized and whitewashed and we are part of the problem we are um complicit in harm so that the skills that really we do need to be um taking on board and the inner work that we need to do on our own trauma and our own journeys and getting our own sense of self strong that is being taken over and it results in us standing and being silent witnesses and and and, and dampening down our inner voice that is screaming i need to do something right now but i cannot that is not good enough anymore. Absolutely not. That is not dueling. That is not birth keeping. That is not being a birth worker. That is working for the system and centering the system. And we are part of the harm. We are part of this traumatized system and we are part of, of killing, harming and traumatizing birthing people. And it needs to stop. 
it's very difficult, isn't it, though? Because it, we've been, it, this system has been around for so long and it's so ingrained in our society that even if as birth workers we're, we're turning up to our clients and saying this is this is what you know what what we do <laughs> I use that word loosely but you know this is what we're offering you in terms of support um there's so much you know not all clients I'm not going to tie everyone with the same brush but a lot of people will say well I'm paying you this money what do I get for it you know what are you going to do and there's a lot of emphasis isn't there and um in terms of what people expect you to do but again i'm finding that with interview i do tell them nothing like like i say i won't speak for you unless i have to mm. and what i explain is if i'm speaking for you the birth room has broken down already if it gets to the yep. point where i need to speak already yep. you've been failed by your care providers because you've not been listened to to the point where i need to step in so yeah. ideally and i do find that the louder my voice grows on social media the less i have to do simply because i'm there so it changes the dynamics of the birth room. It shouldn't, but it does sometimes because I'm there. But the, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say that I'm running those these um, workshops for people who want to be doulas. And I do talk about not jumping into a thousand training courses after you've been a doula. And that we're beginning to see in the birth world. I see it in the Arnica groups. The Arnica groups are the sort of non-vaccine groups. Yeah. And they're all anti-intervention. But then when it comes to women who are post-dates and they come in and they're post-dates and they say, you know, and by post-dates, we're talking 40 plus three or whatever. And I'm like, you're not post-date for 42 weeks and even then you don't need to do anything. But you see reams and reams and reams of people who are normally non-interventionists saying, try this and this and this and this and this. Yeah. All, even in the holistic world, is bought into the fact that birth is wrong and birth is broken. And yeah. I'm seeing more and more and more and more and more of it. It's something I'm struggling to get hands on my own group as my own group grows. I'm struggling to keep that moving away from normality you know i'm saying it's just normal low people yeah. will be doing, try this try this try this and i'm like no yes this is normal and can we move away from so abnormalizing the normal is the term that i use you're abnormalizing yeah. the normal because all of these things are just normal birth just takes till 42 weeks sometimes and sometimes we have long latent phases and sometimes we have long pushing phases and sometimes we have stop start labors and that's all just normal there's nothing wrong with any of it and if we just wait birth will just unfold but it is getting harder and harder to bring that just wait message across yeah. it's decades struggle it's with the word it's right and we see the impact that the the belief systems around birth has around cultural expectation and behavior and birth we've all you know, birthed in it. so we've all given birth within this broken system as well so we've got our own like you said i'm picking our own experiences it's also our own experiences of birth and sometimes that does mean not pushing on people are all singing all dancing while i had a birth in the field with flowers around me and birth breathing because not everybody and we can't be pushing that onto them either we have to mm. keep our births belong with us and and their births belong with them and and everybody has to be able to own their own birth yeah. whatever birth that is that's how yeah. i see it and some women in um saviorism is a huge issue in the world you know i'm here to save you and that's you know trauma unfolding you the know that's great no 
that's all we call in, in when I talk, I talk about the wounded healer. People coming yeah. to birth work as the wounded healer wanting to save everybody from going what they went through, but we can't yeah. save anybody else. Absolutely, absolutely. And the points that you make are so, so important there. You know, there's just those belief systems on birthing people and how they should be behaving and not. It's very loaded. It's very emotionally loaded. And there's a lot of, you know, mother blaming, you know, blaming the birthing. You know, there's just so much that is is in that. And, you know, if we go back to, you know, how the system, how, you know, whitewashing the system has has shaped the doula role we see it in contracts we see it and I will give you two prenatal consultations and I will show up then and I will uh-uh you know birth is is it's individual mm. um but yet we have to be stuck in this kind of notion of you know one size fits all delivery of care and we see that permeate doula work we we see the impact of that in how maternity care services are delivered and we see it in how it then you know feeds into how doulas then deliver their service it's complete you know whitewashing to hold up the scaffolding of the system what we need to be doing is investing time on a blank sheet of paper for every individual that we're serving we need to come with no agenda there are no set number of visits does that mean that you have to change how you're how you're providing support yes most likely but if we go down this notion that dueling is a business now there's a whole other conversation you know we're going to start getting into this is why we see the birth of some of these doula training organizations like pro doula that are very business orientated that have made dueling a business that make birth work a business can you make it a business sure it's a life calling how do we balance that how do we balance being able to serve our own lives and our families and to survive of course we need to be paid and to to have our our value defined in some kind of monetary term but then when we're fitting it into boxes that define how we serve every person that is a massive problem and doulas are being shaped in that way so there is just it goes back to that notion of you know who is training who and what are mm. we shaping and who are you doing it for? Who are you centering? Um, yeah. I would love to see more of those conversations. So we're coming up to around about an hour now, Alison. I feel like we've literally only just scratched the surface oh, and we yeah. could sit here for three hours doing this. Um, so I'd like to invite you back on um, to the podcast and the time so we can continue these conversations because honestly, sitting here thinking, but we've only just got started. Yes. Um, so I'd really yeah. like to have, before we go though, what I'd like to, to, to sort of ask you, which I don't want to leave without asking you this is, you know, the, it's doulas for human rights. Um, in the UK, Sam and I, and you know, loads of other doulas have witnessed uh, a lot of human rights being um, ignored, basically, in the name of COVID. Um, what's your experience over over in in the US? Well, very similar, absolutely. Yeah. And it became very clear immediately. Um, but my my. Well, apart from well, what was the biggest challenge, being able to support birthing people to have their rights met when we're not physically able to be in the space. Yes. Okay, that, that 
was first and foremost a massive challenge. Then we obviously had to navigate how to do that virtually. That for me is an issue because we can totally normalize that. And I see the normalization of virtual working over this, over this year, but we can't lose sight of the fact that supporting birth is a relationship. It's a physical relationship. It requires physical presence. So I was very keen to not lose sight of that because that can happen very easily. And I saw it starting to happen. Um, I also saw the normalization of obstetric violence. It became, it came to the fore. So things like, oh, just because that happened, that's not necessarily a violation. Or just because that mother couldn't get the milk out to her baby that was born at home when she had to transfer him postnatally, just give donor milk. No, we're missing the point here and how, you know, it felt okay that um, birth partners could be um, restricted because it's all right, the, the midwives and the nurses are really loving and kind and but that's not the point. I'm not saying that they're not loving and kind and compassionate, but that's not the issue. So the normalization of obstetric violence and the normalization of human rights violation just, just showed its head even more so. Um, and that was a big part of what Doulas for Human Rights started off at when I was trying to build channels of communication with local providers to find out what they were doing. How are you providing this information to birthing people? What are your policies now? What does that look like? How does that transfer into care? How does that impact informed consent? What does that actually look like on the ground? You know, what pain um, comfort measures are you restricting? I guess an air was a big one because they thought it was aerogen that you know airborne generating thing. And trying to have conversations about that, you get shut down because the system is just so controlling over OBs, over midwives, over doulas, that this sense of helplessness became so overpowering. You know, I believe we were helpless before. You know, there was this sense that doulas were integrated into the system. Uh-uh. COVID gave you the big wake up call that we're not integrated, we are controlled. Yeah. And that was difficult for, for doulas and, and everyone to hear, but it's a reality. And then with that, we then have all this layering and all the conversations that we've spoken about in this hour that need to be spoken about in order to reflect upon what COVID did for us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So definitely some I mean, one of the, I say call it a positive, but you know, it, it's not really positive because there are loads of people that are going to be suffering from trauma for, for you know, having been through the system um, during the pandemic, but it has brought awareness, a greater awareness to the problems with the system. Um, yeah. And it's a wake up call for, for we, we speak of doulas, birth keepers, birth workers, it's a wake up call for us white privileged birth workers it really really is we need to carry the can you know yeah. those marginalized groups of birthing people who have been traumatized for generations should not be carrying this and it, it is absolutely unacceptable mm -hmm. and this is our wake-up call and we have to step up fabulous um sam any last words my love i don't think there's anything to add to alison's closing statement there i think that mm -hmm. just about sums it up you know, um, well, I suppose I do have something to add because what I'm seeing is those of us who are birth activists are running ourselves ragged while everybody else, and yes, we are all white, but I think we could all be considered to be activists and we are working ourselves into the ground while everybody else is sat on their arse not doing so. It needs everybody to stand up and not mm. just you. That's it needs a community. It needs a community and it needs to be collaborative. 
Um, and it needs honesty and it needs willingness and it needs all of that. And it, yeah. it, we need a community. We need a community. But then this is the white community. The white birthright community are splintered and isolated and we're out for ourselves. And, and that is not the way that it's been for, um, you know, BIPOC, you know, communities. That is not how they live. And we're seeing that right now. Mm. We're not doing the work because we're so individual. Yeah. Problem. Yeah, and also I think a, a, a part of it is there's a lot of, oh, there's plenty of people doing that. Oh, I don't need to. Yeah, privilege. No. Privilege. Mm. What a privileged place to be in order to <laughs> out, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, Alison, it's been absolutely wonderful to talk to you. Like I say, we've literally just scratched the surface and I know that the listeners are really going to love this. There's going to be loads of doulas you know, passing this round, listening it, sharing it. And, and so we're going to put details to the Doulas um, for Human Rights, the, you know, all the groups and stuff and the website. We'll, we'll put that all on the bio so that people can find you and uh, come along and, uh, and answer that call and, and do the work, basically. Um, and, yeah, we'll have to touch base maybe later in the year and see what's going going down with you over in the US. And, and we'll have another little chat and, and uh, another fantastic podcast, I'm sure. Thank you. I thank you both. Thank you for the opportunity and for everything that you're both doing with your podcast and, and with your groups, Samantha, everything. Thank you so much. It's great to know that I have you to come back to and, and for support. It's very isolating work. And, and thank you both. Absolutely. Always come and always come and talk to us. Um, yeah, definitely. To keep, you know, keep in contact with us. And Sam's got, they said to me, Paige, we, we yeah. work quite in sort of up together with, with those. And I'm always sharing a lot of your, your stuff on the <laughs> doulas for human rights. I think I see a lot of co-sharing going on between the, between us, uh, but that's what it's all about, isn't it? That's what, you know, that's what we've just been talking about. So it's fab. Yeah. Do don't suffer in silence over there. Mm -hmm. Do, you know, give us a shout and, and we'll find, you know, when the time zones are all right, obviously, um, afternoons yes <laughs> that's yes. morning for you afternoons for us or evenings we often had an evening chat didn't we um yeah lovely so that's good the end of the podcast for today thank you everyone who's listening thank you Alison thank you Sam thank you um, we'll see you. you goodbye and see you another time goodbye thank you goodbye Thank you for listening to the Birth Activists podcast. Until next time.